The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. You're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock. And delighted to be joined for the Thursday interview this week by Brendan Ogle, who will be known to so many of you. Uh, from his trade union activity, a social activist, commentator on, on many issues uh, down through the years and, of course, regular contributor on this show. Uh, we haven't heard from you in a good while, Brendan. Um, you've been dealing with your own health issues. How is the health? Good evening, Kieran. Yeah, uh, thanks uh, for the for the invite. Um, it's better than it was last year. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've been dealing with a few issues the last couple of years, all right, yeah. Um, uh, I got cancer. Um, I was diagnosed about a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, I had to go into immediate, very quick treatment and surgery. Um, so the prognosis was, you know, I don't really know what it was because I, I stayed away from Dr. Google and all of that. The doctors were taking it very seriously. And um, I had very strong treatment, probably mm. the strongest. They, th- they thought I was Superman, basically. They thought I was strong and fit and all the things I wasn't. And that I could take the uh, the strongest stuff they had. So I had uh, 35 sessions of radiotherapy and I had intravenous chemotherapy. Um, and that kind of knocked me for six. <clears throat> Thankfully, it it appears to have knocked the cancer for six as well. Yeah. Um so, you know, I've been uh, building myself back up. Um it's been it's been a it's been a journey. Um I don't want to over egg it because I'm aware and you become aware when you get cancer that uh so many other people out there who you mightn't realise have, have, have been through it or are close to people who've mm. been through it. So I don't want to over egg it, you know, I'm not unique in any way. But it is a journey. It is an experience, and um, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, my voice has changed. I can't sing anymore. A huge loss to the Irish music <laughs> industry, I'm sure. And um, I can maybe I could maybe shout at a push. Um, so we'll see how this interview goes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I've, as I say, I lost four stone in weight. I, hadn't, I wasn't able to eat for a long time. The eating is kind of 50, 60% back now. Um, and... Um, Obviously, it it, it 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 changes your outlook um, to some extent. Yeah. Maybe not in the way people suspect, but it definitely changes things. Did you suspect you had cancer? Were you sick? No, I thought it was great. I had had COVID, the uh, the D variant before vaccination. Okay. And Mandy and I, my wife, had had uh, pretty bad. We had it at the same time, uh, and it kind of set us back badly for a few weeks. You know. And uh, we do a lot of walking and I remember going walking after that and not really being able to, but I got myself back up quick enough and I had swellings under my my, uh, my jaw, both sides of my neck. <coughs> and uh, I put that down to the COVID. Um, and the one on my right over a couple of weeks went away and went back to normal. The one on my left didn't. But I felt great. I was walking my usual walks, which can be quite long at times. And um, I, I could see them. I just thought it was that Lance hadn't recovered from the fighting the mm. infection yet. I met a friend of mine uh, and his wife uh, in town for coffee and she said to me, what, what's that on your neck? And I said, ah, well, I've got COVID, you know, and it's, it hasn't clear. I knew her, I knew a sister of hers had had cancer um, and um, she just looked and she said to me, uh, that's not COVID. Uh, she says, I know from my family, that's not COVID. So I was in my GP 
that afternoon. Did she say what it was? Did well, she say I, I knew her cancer. sister had? I didn't want to push. I I walked away, finished my coffee, rang mm. my GP, uh, fabulous doctor in Drumcondra there, and uh, he kind of said what it was, which is amazing for a GP, you know. Um, well, he said I'm worried this could be cancer, um, and I was kind of I was on a conveyor belt from then on. Mm. Uh, I was in. Can you remember the reaction? Because your sister. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, it was a tour. tough time. Um, just a few months earlier, uh, my sister, I've, 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 I, I, I was, I had four brothers and four sisters once upon a time. Uh, my sister that I was particularly close to uh, had brain cancer and stayed with Mandy and I when uh, she was doing her treatment in the Beaumont. We live in Swords, so it was handy, you know. Mm. And um, she, she, she didn't make it anyway. Um, and um, then my mum died six weeks later of COVID as well. Well, COVID related, I think. So my sister, my mum, uh, February, March 2020. And then I was diagnosed with this, I think, July 2020. So <clears throat> your outlook is not positive when those things start yeah. happening to you in that sequence, Kieran. you know? Yeah. And my outlook to the diagnosis wasn't positive. Now, the, the formal diagnosis was get, given by a fabulous man, uh, Professor James Paul O'Neill in the Beaumont, um, an oncologist in head, neck and throat cancer. There's a fancy name for it. I'm still not able to say what it is. <laughs> it's about 20 letters. I won't even try. Um, and of course, I went, the day he diagnosed was biopsies and things. And the day he diagnosed it, uh, I foolishly went on my own. Yeah, mm. big mistake. Don't recommend it, guys. Um, and uh, he just told me straight up, you know, you got cancer. I didn't hear a lot after that. Um, I asked him to write down what he was saying. So he wrote it down on a double-sided piece of paper. And I knew what he was saying was surgery, chemotherapy. I, was, I said, I'm not, I'm not going there. Oh, you're not, you, you initially said, I'm not, I'm not yeah. treating this. Yeah, and he says, Why? What, do, what do you mean you're not going there? And I told him about my sister and I told him about, and he, he asked me about her cancer and I explained what it was and he said, that's very different. And I said, I know it's very different, but the treatment sounds remarkably similar. And he says, I says, what if this, what if you're wrong? I says, I walked 10 miles. I walked to the pool bag lighthouse yesterday mm. and I had a few pints last night and I watched the pub, in the pub and watched the match. I feel fine. What if I don't listen to you and I get up and I walk out and go back to my office? And uh, what's going to happen? And he says, uh, in about six months, uh, not sure, but about six months, it, it'll be in your lungs. And we'll be having a very different conversation then. It will be about time and, and uh, treatment then rather than this. He says, you know, we, if you walk with me, I'm not maybe the best at working with people, taking orders maybe, you know. <laughs> okay. If you work with me, um, certainly Barry Kenny, who I just met on the way in, would, would agree with that. Assessment <laughs> anyway. Irish Red, yeah. Yeah. locked horns and yeah, more than one yeah, occasion. Yeah, great guy though. But um, if, if you work with me, um, you, you, we can get you through this, you know. So I said, well, you're, you're direct, aren't you? He said, well, you ask me. You ask me these questions, I'm going to give you the answers. Yeah. So it's all a bit of a blur. That day was a bit of a blur. Um... I couldn't see any positive outcome, you know. So can I ask though, the, the initial response that you gave when you said, I'm not doing it, was that just a knee-jerk thing when you had your sister's memory in your head? Or even later on that, like, was there, was, did you give serious consideration at any point to I did, just yeah. I did, yeah. allowing the cancer to take over? I did, yeah. At, the, at that point I did. Okay. 
and discussed it, discussed it with Mandy and and, and um, family. I've got two children. Uh, they're not children now, nineteen and and, and twenty five, but they'll always be children to me. Yeah. And um, then during the treatment, which was really tough, um, <clears throat> I kind of, I kind of had the same. But it's really seven weeks. You have to do it five days a week um, for seven weeks. Um, and you can't miss any sessions. And one of the days, the, the radio, radium therapy and the chemo doubles up. Mm. So before five weeks in, I, I uh, had a, an episode. At that stage, I, I'd lost my all, all, all taste, all smell. Um, I couldn't eat. Um, I had no energy. And I, I took a bit of a turn in the hospital. And um, I kind of packed it in. In my head, I packed it in. Um, and uh, left the hospital and I went home and I went to bed and they told me not to shave. And I hadn't been shaving because you can nick yourself and things. It was in my throat, okay. you know. I went home and shaved, you know. Yeah. I says, well, I won't swear on air now. It's not tr-. Well, I can imagine the things I was saying to myself. And I went to bed and uh, middle of the day and when I woke up, um, Mandy was upset, obviously, and... The doctors are just fantastic, you know. Um, the oncologists and the radiographers in the Beaumont, they're just fantastic people. And um, Dr. Palak was on the phone, uh, a young woman, and uh, she, Mandy Pullen, and she says, you know, you didn't come into us for a treatment today. And I says, well, I checked myself out of hospital. And she says, you know, if you, if you stop the treatment, she says, that you, she didn't need to say any more. She says, you know. And I says, well, <clears throat> I just couldn't do it today with what happened yesterday, you know. And she says, well, we can double up your sessions tomorrow to get you back on track. But you really need to do it, you know. And uh, I just took one look at Mandy. I won't, you know, don't want to be too personal, but it was clear. <laughs> I had a key decision to make. Yeah. So I went and I did the two but sessions. But you made that decision day. for her. If, if you had been offered a way out then. <clears throat> what do you mean by a way out now? Okay. I mean, if you could have died in that moment... To avoid what was coming treatment-wise. And Mandy yeah. wasn't a consideration. The kids weren't. I can understand, put it to you this way, I, I, I don't see myself in isolation in a silo like that. I yeah. see myself as part of a, a, a unit and part of a community, in fact. So I see it all interconnected. But I can understand, the best way to answer that is, I can understand why uh, everybody that goes through that doesn't make it to the end uh, and because you know that was a situation where there was a medical thing happened to me during the treatment and um, a heart issue um, and it had never happened to me before and I've always been very strong and very strong genetically in that respect you know um, and I was just worn out by the whole situation so yeah I think the whole the whole you do end up, you do be thinking about yourself, of course, because you're the one going through it and nobody else can go through it for you. Mm. You get a lot of support and you get a lot of people reaching out and you get people people who love you and care about you, but you, nobody can go through it for you. So, so that pain of doing that intersects then with the rest of your life. And, and, and as I said, Kieran, I, I, given what happened, Breach, um, I that was very, very fresh. And I didn't believe, it took me an awful lot to believe. In fact, I didn't believe it till I got the clear PET scan. I didn't believe that this would work. So all the time you're doing something, which is really, really taking it out of you. 
And when I say taking it out of me now, it was down to when I was going in to get the radiography mm. in the Beaumont, I was going into the same, there's, there's kind of four chambers, but only really two or three of them work. So I was going in to lie on the same beds, the same cubicles with the same radiographers as my sister a few months earlier. And I brought her. Mm. And, and then they leave you because um, they have to, they can't be in the room when this is going on. So they, they, they lie you down and they put a mask on you. You're actually pinned down so you can't move. It has to be very precise. And then the machine, then they say, Brendan, we'll be back in a few minutes and they leave. And at that moment, you're there for maybe 10, 15 minutes, depending on, on what's going on that day with the machine. And uh, you really do, uh, if there's demons, they'll find you. That's when they'll find you. If there's ghosts, that's when they'll find you. And I didn't believe it was going to work. So when I did have my um, major wobble then later in the treatment, it was against the background where I never went into it thinking it was going to work. Mm. You know? Um, so I'm an example of a complete sceptic who wasn't going to go to the doctor at all, mm. who didn't believe there was anything wrong with him, who only went because he met a friend who had been through a tough experience herself and her family and, and she kind of scared me. Um... And then we went, met a great doctor and kind of challenged him and kind of went into it reluctantly, found it very tough and got a great outcome. So if you're out there and you're a man and, you know, or a woman or anybody, but men in particular sometimes don't look after their health as well as the mice. Uh, men of a certain age, I'm 55 this week, actually. Um, Happy birthday. Thanks very much. Um, if, you, if you're... Um, you can, first of all, go and get yourself checked out. Now, I know everybody says it, but you need to, you know, go and get yourself checked out. Don't think because you had a few pints last night. I did. Don't think because you played a match or looked at a match that everything's fine. Go and get yourself checked out. Men don't always get the same regular checks. Mm. So go and get yourself checked out and, you know, trust the doctors. There's a lot of, you know, conspiracy theory nonsense out there now at the moment, you know. Trust the doctors. I'm very critical, as you know, of a lot of things in this country, including sometimes the two or three tier health system. But on cancer, once you're in it, yeah, trust the doctors and go with it. Because if it can work for me, it can work for anyone. That's not to say it'll work for everyone. Yeah. I, I, we lost people along the way, people who I sat at coffees with. And it's very random. The people who get through and the people who won't get through, it's very, very random. There's no justice in it. There's no fairness in it. There's no class. There's no gender. There's no, it's just completely random. But if you trust the professionals and your whole fate and you just put one foot foot into the other and do the treatment, you have a chance. Like That experience as you're going through it of other people who are getting treatment passing away. I, I just wonder how you react to it because I can people might react in two different ways. I could see how people might almost welcome the idea that they're not in control and that there is a randomness and it is kind of egalitarian and I've got to put all my hands in the faith of my medical team and let them run with it. Others will look at those empty seats in the cafeteria and they'll be terrified that it's going to be them and what more could they be doing about it? I suppose maybe they're the more control freaks might be the word you'd describe them. I'm, are you the former group? Well, to me, when I got it, when I was diagnosed myself... Because I would think you were the latter group, but the yeah, way you describe yeah. it, it sounds like maybe you're the former. You have to go with it. Like, when, 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 well, you have to, it, was a, it was crossing a Rubicon for me to trust 
the system. That was kind of crossing a bit yeah. of a Rubicon for me. Um, but, you know, when, when, when you're diagnosed first, um, you, as I said, you are surprised by the number of people, people you know, but you don't know their story, who go to the trouble of sending you little messages, sometimes sending you big, long messages, sometimes ringing you. Um, and I couldn't overestimate the value of that. I'm looking at healthy people I go to football matches with and I don't know this happened to them 10 years ago. Mm. And I'm thinking, this actually can work because look at look at him and look at her. And uh, and of course, we all know the stories of the people who, who, who don't make it because they're the stories that, you know, yeah. we, we, we lose people, we grieve, we go to funerals, we, 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 we um, commiserate with families. So we all know those stories. We don't always know the good stories. So now, at this point, you know, I'm involved with a number of people on, on the other side. Yeah. People who are, are, are starting treatment or in the middle of treatment or who are where I was a year ago. And to me, you know, I know some people will make it and some people won't. Mine could come back. It's, it's high risk in the first couple of years. Um, so, you know, I think once you do it, Kieran, you, you don't be really, this might sound strange, I don't anyway, you don't really think about that. You just see it as a new phase of, of your life. Really? Yeah. I'm would, going to challenge you, on something now. Would you? Okay, go on. I was listening to you uh, about a year ago. Okay. I can't remember the context. I, I was driving home, so it must have been before I got this. So it could be more than a year. And you, you were, it was, death was being discussed. And, and you said at the time, and I hope it's still the case, um, you said at the time that you hadn't personally experienced in your close circle, yeah. right? And I remember being in the car, and I was after going through the situation with my mum and my sister and my dad mm. a few years earlier. And I remember, first of all, I thought, isn't Kieran lucky like? But then I thought, actually, this is experiencing all of life. You know, illness yeah. and, 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 and death is part of life. And until, you know, it has visited your door and it'll visit everybody's door, ultimately, um, um, until it's visited your door, you don't know, you haven't experienced all of life. So, so I kind of take the view now that um, I've kind of learned lessons, new lessons. You know, ha, you know, I've learned about grief. I've learned about loss. I've learned about love in a different way. Um, how to love people who are here differently, and how to what it means when people are gone. You know, and so your your whole your whole my my whole outlook on life is more evolved. Yeah, I, that's the way I look at it. I don't look at it about death, I look at it as a, a more complete way of looking at life, if that makes sense. Yeah. See, I'm terrified of death. I'm not and I think maybe it's because I have no experience of it. Yeah. And the only experience in my family, I was too young really to process it in kind of extended family where it did happen, you know. And, yeah. and since then, it's just grandparents. So yeah. sorry, my grandparents passed away, but they're all in their late 80s and early 90s. I mean, they're not kind of sources of trauma, if yeah. we'll describe it that way. Um, so that probably explains that yeah. uh, uh, that terror. And it probably explains why I assume it would be all you would think about. Because I imagine myself and it would. I in imagine a, it would be way, all I would think after about. After the initial shock, you kind of don't think about it at all. You know, after the initial shock of the diagnosis, and that's a tough day now, there's no doubt about that. Um. You, you don't think about it. Other people might think about yeah. it. Oh, Brendan's sick or Brendan's this or Brendan's that. And you're aware other people are thinking about it. And you're aware that there's phone calls taking place and there's WhatsApp groups going on and there's 
people might be looking at you a bit. But you yourself, yeah. at least in my case, you yourself, you, you're putting one foot in front of the other um, and, and you're getting through. But then those low points then, so they're not fueled by the prospect of death at the end of it. They, no. They're fueled by just how horrible the experience Yeah, they're fueled by, by physical weakness. Yeah. Like if you can imagine um, not being able to eat for months on end, um, not being able to just about being able to speak. Yeah. Um, having no energy, losing all that weight, just spending most of the time in bed, like bed, couch, bathroom, bed, couch, bathroom. Um, and get trying to get yourself up for the hour that it takes you to go get the treatment. But even after the treatment was much worse. And that shocked me. Like the other thing I'd say to people is, I don't want to be scared when people hear about, they don't tell you everything. Okay. <laughs> and there's a reason they don't okay. tell you everything because if they did tell you everything you wouldn't bloody do it or some people <laughs> wouldn't do it. But nobody told me that the period after the treatment was much worse than the treatment. And when I think about it now it's so bloody logical because they've thrown everything at you at that point. They've, you have everything inside you. Yeah. All this, The maximum thing they can give you you now have and now it's starting to do its work. So th- obviously that's when you're going to be at your weakest. Mm. But I didn't think about it like that. I thought the day I finished treatment, I, I had coins. Crossing the finish line. I had 35 days and I used to put a, a euro coin. Okay. So I knew when I had 35 euro, it was over. And I was going to use that 35 euro to enjoy myself. Not that you do much, much enjoying <laughs> yeah. 35 euro now. But um, <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. It was hellish after the treatment for months. Mm. So if somebody told if you're thinking oh, it's going to be seven weeks, you'll get through it. If they're telling you it's going to be six months, it's going to be a year. It's a higher mountain, you know? Yeah. The weight loss as well, I'm struck. It, it, some people will describe it, you know, they might Skinnier than reference you now. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they might reference the weight loss almost though. People, as they describe their own treatment as kind of a, a side effect. But uh, it's part, like weight loss like that could have a real profound effect on you. Because mm. it's a physical, every time you scratch your cheek mm. it's a physical manifestation of what you're going through every com- time you look in the mirror it's about confidence it, yeah I was uh, I've always been a bit mouty you know even when I was a young fellow in the oh, dark you know that now, <laughs> even when I was a young fellow in the dark but I've never been afraid and I, I don't get into scraps or anything like that you know but I've never been afraid uh, and I've travelled a good bit and I've been to some dodgy places but I've never been afraid you know from the dark we don't do fear like you know mm. And Kilkenny is a bit like that as well. <laughs> but you carry sticks, you have an advantage. Um, so, um, you know, I could be anywhere. I could be in downtown Atlanta. I could be in Durban in South Africa. I could be in a dodgy part of Glasgow full of Rangers fans. I just carry me myself in a particular way and I never get into trouble. Mm. Um, and a few months ago, myself and Mandy were um, in France and we were in uh, Limoges. And we'd never been in Limoges before. It was a bank holiday Sunday. There wasn't much going on. And we were just walking around, lo- looking at the town. And um, we, we, we sauntered into a, a, a more, what shall we call it, airty area. And there was a few guys hanging around street corners. There was probably a bit of dealing going on. There was a few uh, clubs, sex clubs or whatever. We just walked into a particular area. Yeah. And the atmosphere changed. And for the first time in my life, Mandy had her iPhone out and she was doing something on her phone and, and handbag. And for the first time in my life, it dawned on me, if something happens here, I'm not going to be able to respond in the way in which I'd like to respond. And that was the first time that ever happened to me. Yeah. And it freaked me out. 
and I said to Mandy, put that bloody iPhone away. We're getting out of here. Um, that has never happened to me before anywhere. And that's the weight loss. That's yeah. the lack of confidence. That's the the lack of, yeah, the confidence. I was going to say self-esteem. It's not that. that that's different. But um, yeah, so if that's how it affects you. You know, yeah. and people say, oh, you look grey. I hate when people say that. I don't effing feel grey. Yeah, you know, you still not feel great. I do. I'm okay now. Yeah, yeah. I do. I'm okay now. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I'm okay now. I wouldn't, couldn't complain now. My energy levels are up to maybe eighty, ninety percent with the wear. Um, going to do the coolie walk on Saturday. Very good. Um, ten mile over the mountain. Um, my sister was part of inventing that walk bridge, and um, it's the tenth anniversary, and she used to do it. So I didn't think I'd be able to do it again. So we're gonna, I'm going to give that a go. I raise a few bob for the the North Loud Hospice which is obviously a, 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 a charity very close to my heart. And, um, yeah, so if you're able to walk 10 miles over the Cooley Mountains, you're not doing too bad, you know? No, no. So you're back to work? Yeah, yeah, I'm back to work a couple of months now. Um, it's interesting, yeah. Um, I'm not out and about the way I, the way I was. Um, By choice? Well, look at Kieran. you know, your researcher was on to me. There's, 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 don't be trying to, to lure me now. Um, well, we'll, we'll cut to the chase yeah, then. Yeah, there, no, there's well, a, there's well, a, an allegation that you're being frozen out at well, the union. Yeah, well, look, there's stuff in the media and I didn't put it in the media, right? And and I've appealed for unity at, our, at the Unite conference last week in Malahide and thankfully there's been a bit of that. I don't think, given what's going on in the country, given what's going on in the world, you know, the left, the unions, our class have the luxury of of, of this. You know, there's too much too much important stuff going on. Um, whatever issues there are, you know, you know, I don't even know what they are. I'm in, I'm in a process and I'm hoping they will be resolved. My doctor, Professor O'Neill, said to me a few weeks ago when I met him for the latest checkup, because you go back every three months, he says, um, you did not beat cancer to live half a life. So, you know, I've been around a long time now. I've been advocating for workers since the, 19, the 80s, actually, if you go back to England. Since the 90s, I've fought a few tough disputes. I like to win them. They're usually well planned. Um, I advocate for a particular vision, a particular view, a particular set of values that isn't always popular. But I think the way the world and the country is going, that's necessary. We need a plurality in debate. Um, I think I do that respectfully. Um, even with opponents. Like, I mean, Barry's after having a great chat there. And yeah. so we'd, we'd, we cross swords. Um, so I think I've got a lot to offer and I hope those issues will be resolved very soon, you know. Um, I love Unite, I love representing workers, I love um, working in the left, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens, Kieran. It's been I, I obviously have to be careful with what I say. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I think I've got a lot to offer. And I don't, as I say, as the doctor says, Brendan, you didn't beat cancer to live half a life. So I, it's, is it, uh, do you feel more energised then about... Maybe not uh, in yourself, but in the cause. Yeah, I feel very way. passionate about... Inju- I've always been passionate about what I perceive as injustice. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of injustice in our society. I think, you know, the the, the, the distribution of wealth is obscene. I think the number of people in the in, 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 um, lower and middle income earners, uh, the, the struggles they have in terms of the housing uh, emergency in terms of just paying the bills now, just just food. I think stuff that's going on in the energy market is obscene. 
I'm, I'm very energised about the, the, the war in Ukraine and the behaviour of that imperialist fascist in Moscow. I think he's an absolute disgrace and, and, and I think he should be called out much more powerfully on the left than he has been. Yeah, do you think some of your fellow travellers are a bit soft on him? I, I think some people behave as if 1991 never happened. Um, 1991 being the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, like whatever demerits or demerits of, of, of communism pre-1991, I was never a communist, but whatever the merits or demerits is a different debate. Vladimir Putin is not a communist. Vladimir mm. Putin is not even a leftist. Vladimir Putin is a fascist imperialist. And fascist imperialism is something we in the left should stand against, whether it comes from Moscow, whether it comes from Washington, whether it comes from Iran, whether it comes from China, from Syria, wherever it comes from. Yeah. And this idea that everything, everything that uh, America bad, everything else good, yeah. just doesn't sit with me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you talk, you mention it, yourself and Barry uh, out there mm. uh, and how respectful the, the conversation and the two of you getting on great. That's, that's what gets lost in a lot of debate. In, certainly in other jurisdictions in the US and in the UK more recently in recent years and you'd hate to see it happen here and it's it's the kind of it's the tribalism that it doesn't matter what this person is saying as long as they're my person and then I will follow and it doesn't matter what the other person is saying if they're not my person then I will oppose and I wonder is, th- is that what we've seen with some of those on the left who are more supportive or a bit softer or, or, or kind of fudge it a bit on Putin it's because it, you know, because there was criticism of NATO early on and mm. NATO's role in the build-up to all of this over the last few years, they immediately decided, well, I'm, I must be on the opposing side to whatever side NATO is on because that's the manifestation of US imperialism. Therefore, well, I'll hitch my wagon to Putin. Yeah, well, I think, I think, I think, it's, as, I think it's as childish as that. That's childish. It's yeah. a, you're not picking a football team here. This is not Kilkenny and Tip. And, and, and even if we've no interest, it's on RTE there and we're going to pick a team. That's not what this is. Um, we on the left are supposed to be anti-imperialist, anti-war, anti-racist and anti-fascist. And if we are, we are. We have to be anti-imperialist and anti-fascist and, uh, uh, and anti-war, wherever that war comes from. And the idea that we can pick a favourite imperialist is mental. To me, I, can't get, I just can't get my head around it. Um, and I don't think I don't think there's anybody certainly not many people on the left who will overtly support Putin but I am challenged by the memory of the anti-war marches that took place which I was part of um, during the invasion of Afghanistan and and Iraq Mm. which were you know massive Um, I am challenged by the juxtaposition of those versus what's happened in Syria and you can and I'm anti-NATO, by the way. I'm anti-US imperialism. There's not a US imperialist war I've supported in my entire life. I think Central and Southern America has been destroyed by American imperialism. I'm a I'm an advocate of of uh, Cuban socialism. Uh, but then, because I recognise the behaviours as coming from Moscow now, and I think it's consistent to criticise that as well. Mm. to call that out as well not just as a leftist but as a humanitarian like the the raping and the pillaging of Ukrainian women and children the war crimes just on a purely humanitarian level is horrific so you know before you're left or before you're right you're a human being you come into this world as a human being before you learn anything about ideology or anything Mm. like that and just on a human level how can it be right and and 
if it's wrong coming from, from the West, it's wrong coming from the East. And I think, you know, that's how most people feel. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. So, you know, if, what's the difference? If I'd been here a year and a half ago, two years ago, would I have said that to you in the way I've just said it to you? Or would I have been thinking, oh, that's going to put me offside with this or it's going to yeah. put me offside? I don't know. You know, yeah. I'd like to think I would adopt exactly the same position. But, you know, I think, I think where I definitely am now is I'm very clear-minded about, and, and more passionate than ever, about fighting injustice. And we can't just pick the, the, the nice, bad people. Evil is evil. Imperialism is imperialism. Warmongering is warmongering. And we have to be consistent. Brendan, I think people will be relieved to hear the fire is still burning bright. Listen, thanks a million. Thanks very much, Kieran. Pleasure to talk to you. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.